My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. After he had fed the people, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat and precede him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After doing so, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When it was evening, he was there alone. Meanwhile, the boat, already a few miles offshore, was being tossed about by the waves, for the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, he came toward them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. At once, Jesus spoke to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter said to him and replied, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. Peter got out of the boat and began to walk on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw how strong the wind was, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and caught Peter and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And they got into the boat. The wind died down. Those who were in the boat did him homage, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. In high school and college, on my list of career options that I was considering pursuing, was a career in journalism. I wasn't sure if it would be print journalism like a newspaper or a magazine or mass media because I enjoyed experiences in both forms. I had done everything for our high school and college newspapers from writing stories, designing the layouts, creating opinion pieces, and holding various editor positions. And I had had a stint on our college radio that attracted tens of listeners. And I was able to take some introductory courses in journalism. And one of the lessons that came up in all the experiences and has stuck with me ever since was the journalistic cliche, if it bleeds, it leads. It's a crude saying that's been around for generations, pointing out the reality that the bigger the scandal, the bigger the crisis or the tragedy, the more people would be talking about it and looking for information about it, so it should leave the front page or should be on the top of the newscast. Thirty years ago, there was a lot of thought and debates and discussions over the, the ethics of that reality particularly with us idealistic and eager student journalists with our teachers and advisors and mentors. 
Sure, we wanted to be relevant and popular and create things that would get people talking and want them to pick it up and read and watch. But in a high school community, in a college campus setting, you're still kids dealing with sometimes more significant issues and unsure of all the consequences of what you share and how you convey that. How do you handle sensitive stories that could be embarrassing to someone? Was something gossip or was this a legitimate story that needed to be covered? Where was the line between censorship and discretion? So for example, when our football team suffered a humiliating defeat to one of our rivals, there weren't a lot of ways to sugarcoat it, but our advisor counseled us not to shame our fellow students. When one of our high school teachers had to resign due to what most of us suspected was an alcohol addiction, that was handled far more cautiously and carefully and discreetly. In the decades since graduating and leaving journalistic ambitions behind and simply being a consumer of news, I'm thankful for all that I learned, especially keeping that unfortunate but true saying, if it bleeds, it leads in mind. As any professional in the news industry today will tell you, journalism has changed dramatically, especially with all the virtual and online world that continues to expand in, in ways that were unimaginable 30 years ago. First and foremost, we can almost immediately be connected to an important historical event or alerted of some dangerous occurrence. And often that comes from someone just with their smartphone, which cuts out that, that long wait between getting an alert and trying to get a news crew out to that scene. This past Wednesday night, for example, was, was shocking for me, just scrolling through my social media, a video of the assassination of a presidential candidate in Ecuador was right there on my phone minutes after it happened. But with every person being able to share things and the desire for notoriety and likes and follows, there's not much discretion or thoughtful reflection about any of the implications. And sadly, because of all these expansions of social media sharing, even the professionals have lowered their standards and abandon some of their ethics. They'll look at what's trending, what's going viral, and repackage it and broadcast it themselves. If it bleeds, it leads has now become what's called clickbait, meaning a news organization will share something that's going to provoke anger and fear and outrage to get someone to look at their story. And the more they can keep people to tapping into those emotions, the more they'll stay tuned follow them, subscribe to their services. And all that's been disastrous, both mentally and spiritually. Even the magazine Vanity Fair observed, the way cable news traps us in the daily drama forces us to watch the news ping pong back and forth across our screens, locked in a variant of feelings that have gone from the cringy pleasure derived from watching bad things happen to other people to where that pleasure is gone, but the compulsion grows ever stronger because the bad things are happening or are about to happen to us. Whether watching cable news or seeing and sharing it on a tweet or a Facebook post, people are drawn into this, this dangerous vortex where we're losing sight and perspective. Think about how often you've heard the country's about to explode 
War is inevitable. The church is collapsing. The world is ending. I've been guilty of falling into that myself. That's why I've forbidden myself from watching the news at night. All I allow myself is a Seinfeld rerun before I go to bed. But it's tough. It's a challenge because bad things are happening. Frightening realities and difficult things are going on. We can't and we shouldn't hide our heads in the sand and pretend that's not true. And people trying to stay rooted in their faith are often looking to find meaning in the midst of all these things. So how do we learn to be in the world, but not of the world, as the scriptures tells us? To navigate the things that we see and hear in the news, but not lose our faith and our perspective. Today's first reading from the Old Testament, the first book of Kings, has part of one of my favorite stories from the Old Testament about the prophet Elijah. It was only a snippet of a bigger story. So to just give you the context that was left out, Elijah had just gone toe-to-toe with the prophets of the false pagan god Baal. Actually, it was toe to 450 toes. There were 450 prophets of Baal and just Elijah who was the prophet of the Lord God. Now the pagans had convinced Queen Jezebel and a whole bunch of Jews to abandon their faith in the Lord God of Israel and to follow this false pagan God. And so it was this epic spiritual battle where the prophets are going to have this big showdown. They each have their sacrifices of a bull and they're going to call down fire from their respective God to prove who's real, which one was real. So all 450 false prophets spent hours to no avail. The Bible recounts it. They remained in the prophetic state until the time of offering their sacrifice. But there was no sound, no one answering, no one listening. But when Elijah goes up, he sets up an altar with 12 stones, recounting the 12 tribes of Israel. He builds an altar with the sacrifice on it, and he makes them, just for dramatic effect, drench that sacrifice and altar with water four times. And then he prays, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, Lord, are God and that you've turned their hearts back to you. And with that, fire comes down from heaven, engulfs and completely devours the sacrifice. The people go nuts. They fall prostrate to the ground. They cry out, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. And guess what? The next day it says, if it didn't even happen, Queen Jezebel is livid. She didn't like to be embarrassed like this. So Elijah is now a marked man who flees for his life. And now he comes to this mountain where he's waiting for the Lord God. And this is what we just heard today in that beautiful passage. The strong, heavy wind goes by, but the Lord's not in the wind. There's an earthquake, but the Lord's not in the earthquake. There's fire. The Lord's not in the fire. And after the fire, there's that tiny whispering sound. When he heard this, Elijah hid his face, meaning... God was in the tiny whispering sound. Sometimes people mistakenly think that that means we can only encounter God in a tiny whispering sound. But that's not the case. We just heard 
God had shown out with fire from the sky just one chapter earlier. And all those other references, the strong, heavy wind, the earthquake, fire, were some of God's greatest hits. There were moments of encounter that had happened before in the whole history of Israel. They just weren't how God was revealing himself and his activity at this particular moment. And the point that God was highlighting to Elijah was that didn't mean he wasn't attentive to what had just happened. That didn't mean he wasn't aware. That didn't mean he didn't care for Elijah. Elijah had started to think that. He was being faithful. The whole world was the one that was going to hell. He thought for sure God showing up in this dramatic fashion was going to result in mass conversions. And it didn't. And in fact, Elijah's become kind of whiny and pessimistic. In the verses before and after, he realizes God's in that tall, small, tiny sound. He's complaining, saying, I can't do this anymore. Elijah's having a moment. He was letting the daily headlines and the narrative and the polls and the attitudes of the people get to him and make it undermine his faith. Why was the civil leadership so corrupt? Why weren't the religious leaders doing more? When was God going to step in? He had done it before. Why not now? We find Elijah starting to let his own desired outcomes and his expectations to eclipse what God had just accomplished. In some ways, he's struggling as much as the fickle people who saw that smackdown against Baal, and the next day we're on to the next story, the next headline. Elijah needed to be pulled away from the drama of the world and to be alone with God in order to recover, remembering what God had done and how he was still very much in charge, had never stopped caring and loving Elijah or all the people that God had sent Elijah to, go, to proclaim to and to preach to. St. Peter is in a similar boat, pun intended, in today's gospel. What are the headlines that would have been very easy for them to focus on? Jesus' 12 chosen ones are in the midst of a horrific storm that's going to threaten their lives. The fishermen on board, they think back to their former lives before Christ, all their experiences on the sea, and they're convinced that this could be their end. The winds, the waves start to eclipse all the memories of their hearts, all the miraculous things that they've witnessed and just participated in as Jesus had just fed the multitudes. As they now see Jesus walk on water, they're so terrified, it doesn't even cross their minds that it could possibly be Jesus. They think it's a ghost. Peter is the one who boldly asks, if it is you, Lord, command me to come to you on the water. He's putting himself on the line rather than just putting Jesus to the test, which, which makes this such an incredible moment of faith. And Jesus invites him, come. And we hear this another miracle. Peter walks on water. And as we've often heard before when we've encountered this gospel, it's when Peter stops focusing on Jesus Christ and starts to pay attention to all the bad news again, he begins to drown. What makes Peter different from Elijah, though, is what's essential. What does he do when he starts to drown? He cries out in prayer, Lord, save me. What an amazing and beautiful prayer. 
He recovers his perspective at this moment of crisis, realizing he became overwhelmed the minute he allowed all the waves, all the wind to distract him from Jesus. But how can Peter have avoided getting himself into this moment of crisis in the first place, or any of us for that matter? For each of us that we're here today is great. It's essential for us as Catholics to be together for the holy sacrifice of the Mass every Sunday. But we need to do something else, which with all the dramatic things we've heard in these readings can be as lost as that tiny whispering sound. It was a short line at the very beginning of the Gospel passage that tells us that Jesus went up the mountain by himself to pray. Think about that. Jesus needed that intimacy of his own personal time with his Heavenly Father. Jesus needed prayer to be refreshed. Jesus needed to be away from the noise of the crowd and all the demands and align himself with God's will. He was not allowing the, the fickleness and the ever-changing narrative of the world to dictate things but he was allowing the Father to continue to direct his steps. And if Jesus needed that, then so do we. I know in my own life that I can be like Elijah. I want to perform some miraculous feat that's going to show up and show out all these false gods, all these idols that so many in our world seem captivated by. Or to be like Peter and be able to walk on water and maybe divert people's attention from all the craziness in our world. But then I realize how arrogant that is and how Jesus has already entrusted me to share in his priesthood that every Mass, all of us experience a far greater miracle than Elijah could have ever have imagined. God himself being made real and present as the bread and wine becomes Jesus' body, blood, soul, and divinity. But to fully appreciate that, maybe we need to unplug disconnect from the barrage of information that we're bombarded with, constantly tempting us to keep on scrolling, keep on listening, keep on watching, where hours go by where we don't even realize it. Again, not saying ignore any of the news or our responsibility as citizens, but not allowing that to be our excuse that I have no time for daily prayer. I can't listen to a podcast like the Bible in a year. I have 20 other media personalities that I have to listen to. I have no time to pray the rosary. I have three hours of cable news to watch, regurgitate the same story over and over and get me outraged more and more. We need more time and space for God's voice in our daily lives, where we can be mindful of his constant presence so that we come to a place where we allow what bleeds to lead to be the body and blood of Jesus Christ.